Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt. This is Rolling Stone Music Now. I'm in the studio with Brittany Spanos and Rob Sheffield, and we are finally going to talk about Taylor Swift and her new album, Lover. This is a case where we were actually getting requests and questions about why we had not done it. <laughs> and then when finally my cover story came out this week, literally people were like, oh, that's why you waited. And yes, that's why we waited. And what a cover story Thank it is, yeah. Brian. Thank that is you. like a classic Rolling Stone interview. I love how it's the Rolling Stone interview yeah. just unadorned Q&A it's beautiful like I said it's like the ones we used to do with Pete Townsend every year and a half yeah. basically well thank you very much and it follows your cover story with Harry Styles which is also a very old school Rolling Stone cover story so we're just keeping it old school yeah. is what we do but I have two of the most knowledgeable Taylor Swift experts on earth with me today and what I thought we'd do is once again go song by song through Lover but before we start that, you were talking about your rankings of Lover within the canon. I'm not a critic. I don't really think in terms of rankings. There are times when I do think that this is her best album, but it's not an opinion I've given a lot of thought to. I've just been listening to a lot, and I think it's really fantastic. And we were talking about the fact that people are a little confused about how to respond to it on a critical level because their responses to reputation were so muddled. As Rob said there did seem to be people who had written the review before it came out and then like quickly revised it once they realized it was really excellent. So people are still reassessing and understanding Reputation, which was a fantastic album. Yes. Bernice, I think you said that one is your number two. Yes, that's my number two album. In a few more years, I think people will come back to it and realize that it was a lot more than the controversies that surrounded it and that she was addressing. And I think it's such a brilliant album. It's such a risk for her, that entire album. Like That's why I think it ranks so highly for me too is because not only was it such a risk but well executed really fun I mean she was just having like a wacky time all across it and she talked about in your interview where she had these like empty warehouses and really industrial images running through her head for it and didn't want any traditional instruments it worked so well and it was so different for her and I think it's phenomenal well it's funny she obviously had not done any reputation interviews so I really felt like we had to get some of that stuff mm -hmm. on the record it's interesting because I even have even more to ask obviously about this album but some of it had to be that and I yeah. really felt like she hadn't had a chance to say that so it was nice to understand where the sounds of it came and how that differs from the sounds of Lover and I think it's important to note that people think about her like calculating like what's commercial now for pop that she's thinking about how do I get on radio in 2019 but what she specifically says she's calculated when it comes time to market the stuff but not when it comes to making the music mm -hmm. and that's why it's not a calculated thing that that there's all this warm instrumentation and traditional instrumentation on this album. It's more about her vision of it. It tracks more to her literal vision. I won't paraphrase it, but of like fluttering curtains and all that lovely description she gave of what this oh, album yeah, is. Oh yeah, the barn floors. Yeah. The, and, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, I love that. Yeah, She's so good with the architectural metaphors. Mm -hmm. The whole thing with like the industrial warehouse kind of, you know, like why the last album was basically her pretty hate machine, yeah. I guess. But this one is so like, she said tonally, it's like it's very wooden. There's a lot more organic sort of. It's also really yeah. funny that an, this radio programmer guy was quoted in the New York Times mocking the idea of guitars. He's the programmer for an alternative radio station in New York. And he's like, does anyone even go to Guitar Center and pick up a guitar anymore? There's so much guitar on this Taylor Swift album. <laughs> the number one best-selling album of the year. Is, I just thought that was really funny. <laughs> Without ranking it, I don't know if you really want to give an official ranking in the canon, but where do you see this album in the Taylor Swift catalog? It's up pretty high, I think, in the canon. It's the first time since Red that she's decided to do 
all the Taylor Swift tricks on one record. 1989, such a great record, but it was such a shock. And it really threw me for a loop when I heard it. And I said, these are such great songs. But, you know, she's not doing any of the big goopy ballads that she had perfected, especially on Speak Now, which is the great goopy ballad album of the century. Maybe the best goopy ballad album since David Bowie's Hunky Dory. 1989, Reputation, she's picking one musical lane and totally like sticking to it. And this album, she's doing all these different tricks that she can do in one place, and it's really dazzling. Mm -hmm. And Red was obviously the last time that she was going in a lot of different directions at once. Yeah, even though I had listed my rankings before. It's really important to remember, though, with her is that she's so consistent and one of our most consistent artists of the 21st century. I mean, even if you rank an album lower on it, it's still like they all kind of fit different moods in such a fantastic way that I don't think a lot of artists can really hit in that sort of album centric way and it's weird to rank them too because it's just like they all kind of fit different eras of her life different moods like they feel so individual and so unique and so fresh and consistent and also just within the ranking like I mean one of our best pop discographies of all time absolutely you know I think because to a large extent, people missed the boat about what Reputation was like, as she talks a lot about in the interview, that it was a lot of love songs. And it's funny, if you break it down, Reputation is basically two songs about being a celebrity, and then the rest are all love songs. Mm -hmm. And on this album, there are two songs about being a celebrity, and then the rest are all love songs, yeah. except like that beautiful song about the hospital. Mm -hmm. But it's peace and with Miss Reputation. Miss Americana about something else altogether, it turns out. But yes. Ooh. Yes. And a departure, mm -hmm. which I'm very excited about, but we'll get to that. That she would depart from the narrative altogether, I think is a very promising thing for a career. And I, I will say just on another broader note, I said it's her most adult album. And I think that's kind of indisputable. And I think that's really exciting. And it's like, as both of you made the same point, Brittany wrote a lovely piece about how it's the first time that her love songs have the detail and specificity and reality of her kind of breakup songs. And it's because she has this new kind of relationship. And Rob pointed out, if you write something like The Archer or The Title Track or Cornelia Street, Cruel Summer, it's the same kind of song that she might have written about sort of quick crushes or less serious things, but now it's about what may well be, I'd hesitate to characterize it, but it's obviously a more serious relationship. And it's just, for me, even more powerful. And I think points the way for, if someone's wondering, oh, she wrote some of the best songs about being young and trying out relationships. Yes, she is going to be able to be an older adult writing songs just as good or better about the things that an older adult goes through. And I think that's really exciting. Mm -hmm. So should we begin going song by song? Should we begin with track one? But I forgot that you existed. I forgot they existed. So she saw that as a palate cleanser. Mm -hmm. And I think that's yeah. The first clear. two songs feel sort of like the continuation of Reputation. Like they kind of address the cruel summer of 2016. I forgot that you existed. <laughs> like she's moving on. Like they feel sort of like, I mean, I don't want to call them like Reputation B-sides, but they feel like they're like sort of like the linger notes of that album totally. leading into Lover and kind of feel like they're like letting go of sort of that excess from there but yeah I like that song let's, let's get up in it lived in the shade you were throwing till all of my sunshine was gone 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 and I couldn't get away from you gotta love that she uses Best line on that song definitely. <laughs> yes we got a drake reference not a yes, drake indeed. collaboration yes and i'm still waiting <laughs> we know from my interview why drake is in her mind in this context mm -hmm. though i don't know why that song would come up in this context at all i mean <laughs> what could uh yes. drake's in my feelings possibly have to oh never mind <laughs> let's just skip that topic entirely <laughs> 
I just love that she uses the term shade in, in this particular case and then extends the metaphor, yeah. which is just such a, you know, leaving no cliche uninterrogated, which is just a, <laughs> which is just a, a lovely example of just her like verbal and songwriting facility. Yeah. She loves metaphors. She used so many in oh, the interviews, lo- so many, yes. I mean, all of her I, songs. I have to say, we'll get to the Archer, but in terms of like Taylor metaphors <laughs> per line, it's almost like Red, which yeah. is, you know, like a song that we all love because it's a different metaphor. Every three or four words, it's yeah. a completely different <laughs> metaphor and like the archer i love how she goes back to that yeah. every line it's like a ghost no it's like an arrow no it's like a fire no like it's like oh my gosh i love that well maria sherman had a really funny piece on the interview where she pointed out that in the interview she compared herself to a golden retriever a fox a person pulled under a riptide a prized calf a pilot and an archer and probably some other stuff. So and that a flag. Was, I, really, I like the flag metaphor a lot. Yeah, yeah I when like she was that talking too. about another flag being like the new thing that people look at. Yeah, I love that. So Cruel Summer, I'm not really allowed to talk about things that happened at the secret session, but I can say that I had trouble. <laughs> the album's out. Yeah, it's yes, out. I know, people, but, they've but, been but, tweeting about but, it. But they the, yeah, exactly. the, album. <laughs> the exact things that happened are supposed to be secret forever. But I will say that I had trouble <laughs> grasping at first the amazing excellence of Cruel Summer because the fans were screaming so loud over it uh, because it just it, it, yeah it, it just, exactly. I mean like I literally couldn't hear it so I knew it was good but in my mind all I heard half screams because it was so exciting to the fans that even like 30 seconds in they were like shrieking through that the whole song because they recognized the pure uber bopness of it immediately literally same yeah every single time I listened to it Cruel Summer is the greatest song of the year I think in my humble opinion I mean it's just from start to finish a perfect song and the bridge is the best in an album full of really great bridges the cruel summer bridge just takes the cake it's so good a ranting bridge she calls yeah it. let's oh. hear the song when find out the bridge people dream high in the quiet of the night you know that i caught it bad bad boy shiny toy with a it's literally the dictionary definition of bop. Yes. It may be the moment, I think I tweeted this, that I finally was like, you know what? <laughs> I had an initial aversion to the term bop for whatever reason. And then I was like, no, it's a great word because what else would you call this song? There's That's no a bop. other word. It's just pop perfection. It's yeah. so good. And I think the most disputed line of the year, which is the final scream in the bridge, where it either sounds like he looks up grinning like a devil or he looks so pretty like a devil. Both lyrics work. I hear it your way. I have to say, I'm totally sold on Britney hearing of it. I now hear it differently every single time. It sounds so much like pretty to me to the point where I'm like analyzing like the phenomes. I'm like, nope, that's a plosive. Seriously. (laughs) I'm actually listening for the sound of spit hitting the microphone because that will prove whether she used (laughs) a bilabial plosive or a dental plosive. (laughs) That's the level of idiotic listening to it. It's like I'm 19 listening to John Wesley Harding again. It's that level. in In the lyric booklet it is grinning like a devil yeah 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 and both lyric work booklets. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> lyric booklets yeah. like she doesn't play with that stuff that's a canvas for her to work on <laughs> that's another bow in her archer's quill i'm, I'm just fact checking <laughs> i hear you yeah. i hear you yeah i have to say it sounds like the booklet to me but i had the booklet like almost right away yeah. so it's a little unfair yeah but. something about cruel summer is it's such a short song. It always blows my mind that it's just three minutes. She packs so much in. It's funny because it has the sprawling kind of feel of like those great Speak mm-hmm. Now songs that go on for six or seven minutes. And yeah. the bridges in those songs are so complex. And I love how she basically achieved the whole Speak Now effect in a reputation size song. It's really just... It is so Speak Now. That bridge especially. The bridge, which I believe she had spoken about at her town hall 
that she mentioned that it was like inspired by Paramore, the screaming wow. part, which I love, and also fits in with her Fall Out Boy influence on this album. But like, it's to the point where if I am not listening to the bridge properly, I have to stop and go back and re-listen to it just like, to absorb every it. Every couplet in the bridge sounds like the start of another song. Just I hear excellent. I hear pretty I hear pretty I can hear grinning too but yeah. I hear pretty more than I hear in some ways Brittany this is the rock album that you said she was gonna make yes okay I thought she was gonna make a rock album for Reputation which I mean it's kind of a Nia Nails album yes absolutely. Trent Reznor wishes <laughs> absolutely Trent Reznor who's having a very confusing Google alert <laughs> yes. here that she's like oh well Reputation was my industrial album like that's totally true it's yeah prettier hate me. Yeah. Yeah. yeah yes exactly yeah. it's her adore yeah. <laughs> to use a metaphor for fond of, you know, like using Brian, <laughs> the pumpkin's essence of it. But Cruel Summer, it's such a complex song. Also, there's a perfect Springsteen couplet where it's like, every summer I lifted the gate, like yeah. every night to seal my fate. Like that yeah. is such a side two of darkness on the edge of town lyric. <laughs> I cannot believe she's pulling off tricks like this to like every few seconds on this album. I know. And I, I love the, I love you, ain't that the worst thing you ever heard? What a, yeah. Very, very tunnel of love. <laughs> very tunnel of love. <laughs> Apparently someone on the business side of her situation said to her that this is your Springsteen album. Really? Like, I'm still trying to grapple with Red is her Springsteen yeah. album. Yeah. yeah. For, like, in terms of overt Springsteenness, title track of Red Alone. Absolutely. Springsteen must have spent a year driving around New Jersey saying, how did I not write this song? All too well, <laughs> didn't I try to write this song about 12 times on the river? But I forgot to put a scarf in it, you know? <laughs> he missed the dancing in the refrigerator yes. light. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> if he put a scarf in it, everyone would think the song was about little Steven, is the problem. Aren't so, they all? He probably has so many outtakes from Born in the USA about little Steven's scarves that we won't hear for decades to come. Like, Well, Bobby Jean, but anyway. Well, yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> You left your babushka in, in your sister's house in the steps of my daddy's house. So Bruce Springsteen like, has the scarf. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's what we've settled on yes, today. This little Steven scarf that's been passed along. That song, Taylor Swift and Lil Steven. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> it's canon now. Absolutely. It's totally canon. Like, Jake Gyllenhaal, who? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Jake has been retconned out of this song entirely. This is why we never finish the albums when we do this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, sorry. Turns into we, like yeah, we 10 have, minutes yeah, of exactly. Springsteen. Like the time we did the Beatles and we spent so much time talking about Ringo, we never got to John or Paul. Um, so we have to make time to get to London Boy. That's We're going to reclaim a London Boy I today. love, yes, I think we all love London Boy. I think yeah. the anti-London Boy side is completely weakening. They're on the wrong side of history. Yeah. Okay, like obsessing over London Boy when we're about to get the title track is the exact equivalent of talking about Ringo (laughs) for an entire episode. Sorry, Lover is so good. It is such a beautiful song. Totally timeless. And she said that the idea was that it would be kind of like a wedding band playing it, even on the recording. And I mean, let's face it, wedding bands are going to be playing it until the end of time as first dances. Like you and might they as well just have. Yeah. Yeah. There was already people like literally the weekend after the song came out, there were fan accounts who were reposting a lot of like wedding videos and photos that people were like, I use Lover as my wedding song. I changed it 
day of and it's like people already <laughs> yeah absolutely like totally. wedding band musical directors were like frantically charting it up the moment it came out yeah, they're like absolutely. okay I gotta learn this and, and this song this totally sums up like Brittany in your amazing essay on, on this album and how the love songs are so different from they're so of a piece with the love song she's mm-hmm. written in the past but this is not a song she could have written on Speak Now no. this is not a song she even could have written on Reputation this is like you know New Year's Day was really the start of where this album begins and this song totally like sums up what you're saying about her love songs this is not a song she could have written before this album yeah because there's like all too well level detail in not just the song in like Cornelia Street and Paper Rings where it's like these specific memories these specific moments over the last few years of this relationship that really like Again, like a lot of her love songs prior to this were either based on someone else or based on sort of like a fantasy or a crush or something really small. So there were all these like ideas in it, but never this level of specificity. Like she's absolutely. never given these sort of scenes in all these songs the way that she has. In, yeah. Totally. And, and another absolutely fantastic bridge. Mm-hmm. And I would just point out ballsy as hell in the sense that here's someone who has wanted to reclaim their privacy, but she is perfectly willing to, on the title track of her new album, to strongly suggest that she's going to marry her boyfriend. And she doesn't give a shit because in her songs, as she said to me, she's in control of the presentation. So she'll reveal things that are startling for one of the most famous people on earth to mm-hmm. reveal. I think it's extremely audacious. That song, and it's true of other songs, but that song hits both emotional and musical notes that she's never hit before in its kind of haunted Patsy Klein thing is not anything she's ever done before. What helps me think that she's really breaking ground on this album. Something else is that one of the long tailored vocal traditions, very McCartney-esque, is how much she loves to laugh at her own jokes. And that's a highlight of every album is mm-hmm. the Taylor laughing at her own jokes moment. And the moment where she laughs at, I promise to be over dramatic and true. And then she has that little laugh. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that's the best Taylor laughing at her own joke <laughs> in any of her songs. It beats Hey Steven, which is the previous record holder. It beats Shake It Off. It beats all those songs where she's laughing at her own. And it's such a sort of casual little chuckle. It's her first chuckle. <laughs> As opposed to, you know, she often giggles or cackles. This yeah. is a full like on chuckle. Stage laugh. Yes, ones, yeah. I love it. <laughs> so I want to take a moment and talk about vivid seats. Staying at home is great, but eventually you just got to get out of the house. Whether you go out to see your favorite band or go cheer on your favorite team in person, you got to get out of the house. You got to have a night out. And with Vivid Seats, you can attend the concert of your choice, the sports event of your choice, whatever event you're looking for at a great price. Vivid Seats is the top source for tickets for all the live events you might want to go to. On their site, you can sort by price or look for seats in the section and row of your choice. You can pick the seat you want. To make things even better, Vivid Seats is giving listeners an exclusive promo code for new customers to receive 10% off your first ticket order to save even more money. Just go to the App Store or Google Play and download the Vivid Seats app. First-time customers can use promo code ROLLINGSTONE, that's R-O-L-L-I-N-G-S-T-O-N-E, for 10% off your first Vivid Seats order. Every purchase is backed by a 100% buyer guarantee, from the biggest concerts and games to the hottest theater and more. Vivid Seats has it all. Download the app and enter promo code ROLLINGSTONE for 10% off your first order on Vivid Seats. Make a memory that lasts a lifetime and let Vivid Seats help you get to your favorite live event. So the man, the man, it's one of those things that speaks for itself. It's really funny and really wise. Let's hear it for a second. I would be complex. I would be cool. They'd say I played the field before I found someone to commit to. 
That would be the line about Leo is amazing. It's uh, also, perfect timing. <laughs> Leo's just been in the best movie of his career. I know. <laughs> Even I have respect for Leo now. And, and it's so funny that she picked this moment to drag him. You know, that's some Boku Taylor Universe timing. One of the best Leonardo DiCaprio references in songs since Hey Leonardo. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Also, like, you can't help but feel like in terms of songs that continue the reputation theme, as you were saying about, you yeah. know, I forgot that you existed. I can't help but feel that she could have saved herself a lot of aggravation writing this song for reputation. Yeah. And if this is the thesis. Yeah. An alternate universe where she goes back in time two years and this is the first single instead of Look What You Made Me Do. Yeah. Things might have been really different for her emotionally over the past couple of years. This like, because this definitely the thesis sums up that. everything that was trying to say so brilliantly and so pointedly. Yeah. This is like, I did something bad. Uh, don't blame me yeah, yes, look what you made totally, me do totally done in one song <laughs> although happy we have all three of those songs <laughs> i am too i am too yeah the man it's really like you said it's a thesis statement yeah. and it's so brilliant and pointed lyrically and musically it's such a bop it's kind of like the perfect reputation song yeah i love when everyone believes you what's that like that's great oh my mm-hmm. god what a great line i will say like she wonders if i get there quicker i mean like I love- how much more successful could she be at the same time i completely get it it's like if she was a man she'd be the emperor of the planet possibly i think that, that, i think that yeah that's... why did i have to wait till i was 17 to be like the world's most famous pop star has leo commented on this song oh i don't know let me safe as having once done a leonardo dicaprio <laughs> cover story and really enjoy my time with him models and centropay is not his favorite subject to discuss he likes to do it but not so much talk about it it's not the kind of thing he would comment on if i was an interviewer i would ask he'd probably make a joke but yeah no not not yeah. his favorite topic. I picture him in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood in his pool when he likes to sit in his pool listening to the radio on headphones and picturing him like floating in his pool listening to, and this song comes on. He just has a playlist of all the songs that reference him just yeah. on loop. Yeah, I think Tarantino <laughs> should do an additional cut of the song that edits that song into the bizarro last act of that movie about which I will say nothing more. Except I love every movie. Put Taylor Swift in a Tarantino film. <laughs> yeah, considering what goes on in that movie, it would not be that ridiculous to have a 2019 Taylor Swift song playing on the radio (laughs) so the archer which rob i think you said is still your favorite song on the album it's up there there's so many ones that are way up there you know cornelia street is way up there for me cruel summer is way up there for me the archer also it's the third song that she released from the album and it's the first one where she was like i'm doing the full-on super emo hyper sentimental full-on taylor power ballad kind of thing that the people have been starving for that i deliberately didn't do on the last album and i would also say with a really cool minimal and this is why i used along with several other tracks the word indie-ish synthy stripped down almost like m83 or that genre outrun from the movie drive Mm -hmm. like that kind of thing like just indisputably cool sounding song it is that indie record that's so much cooler than hers (laughs) it is that song so I think that's the other reason the combination of yes the confessional balladry but also just that like wow this is a cool song this is and it's sung in this very detached cool way that's it's just it's neat yeah for someone who loves a battle metaphor she's been doing that since fearless yeah since like fearless era she's been doing like a lot of like battle metaphors kind of like warlike imagery in a lot of her songs and I think this is maybe the best one that's used that absolutely one of the many things that I wish I could ask her in addition because there's always so much more with any interview all my heroes die all alone is really intense yeah it, it does make you wonder exactly what she's thinking about I have some ideas that I won't even say but let's hear this song for a second if we can come back 
I think it is outrun. <laughs> also, it sounds like I've got a hundred donuts and peaches that I've been meaning to. Get. I still hear donuts, peaches there. <laughs> Me too. Yes. Yeah. That is a serious misheard. Yeah. And as, as long as we're going like weird things that we hear in the songs in Lover, when she yeah. says, you know, like I've had you for three summers now, baby, I want it. I always think that she's going to say, I want the fall. Oh yeah. It's three summers, baby, I want the fall. It's like no. Nope. Also, it'd be a very, a very Swiftian <laughs> lyric. Absolutely. She's always always throwing curveballs, like even in songs that we've heard. This is like. When Chris Gow once suggested a rewrite for a Steely Dan lyric in his review, this is what you're doing. Yeah, this, yeah, to, I'm suggesting a, the Cruel Summer rewrite. Absolutely. The Archer, it's not unsteely Dan-like in terms yeah. of its musical concentration and subtlety. And the, I think a lot of people, when they heard it, they were like, oh, the old Taylor's back. Yeah. You know, like, but it's not, you know, it's not a rehash it's of anything so she's different. done before. Yeah. This is another one of those songs that is, you talk about in your essay that she just could not have written before. It's yeah. from a different emotional place. Musically, I would say like it sounds most similar. And I, th- I think this and like Daylight both kind of sound a little like clean, sort of the latter half of 1989. That's yeah. as close as it gets. But even then, I don't think either of those songs would fit on 1989. Yeah, totally. In the interest of possibly getting through the album, perhaps (laughs) perhaps we'll we'll skip I Think He Knows, which is a fun song. Great song. Great song. Great Haim song. Oh, yeah. Totally. Squad Lives. (laughs) Yes. And Miss Americana and the Heartbreak Prince, as I was saying, I just love that she's found a way to do a politics song that is totally a Taylor Swift song. The lyrics could be, if you don't look closely enough, could be like a really early Taylor Swift song. But it's actually a total metaphor for the political situation and I think brilliantly done. Yeah. Feels a little Lana-esque to me as well. Yeah, you said totally. that, right. Yeah. It makes you wonder how strict Jack Antonoff was about the proverbial Chinese wall of security. <laughs> how much about the Lana album was he letting slip? I mean, I'm sure he's like super, super, super scrupulous about that stuff. But yeah. this is so much like a song from not even like an old Lana song. This is really like these new Lana songs. And it's interesting to see both of them this year kind of really have interesting takes on a lot of what it means to be American, especially when yeah. American imagery, I mean, explicit American imagery for Lana, but also more implicit with Taylor's Fourth of July parties and kind of her just general kind of all American girl image and how they've grappled with what that means in really exquisite ways on both of their albums has been fascinating to watch. And I'm just delighted to see these pop stars who are rock stars of now like step up and take these things on. I do want our popular artists to be doing that just as they always have. And I think when people are like, where's the protest songs? They're just not listening because here they are. It's a more complex protest song. It's about really interrogating what patriotism is and what it means to be an American, but also not support anything that's really happening politically in America and seeing where you fit in that in terms of like privilege and your own experience of being patriotic, even when things haven't always been great. Also, what he said about where's the protest songs? Like what a doofy and condescending way to of completely not hear songs she's been you know, writing. How is 15 not a protest song? Mm-hmm. How is Dear John not a protest song? How is Should Have Said No not a protest song? <laughs> yeah, totally. I was talking about people asking where the protest songs are in the Trump era, but your point is well taken as well. Both are dumb takes, but mm-hmm. that's really interesting it was as an well. especially dumb take on reputation, but yeah. I'm just going to be real old Taylor about this. <laughs> <laughs> and man, paper 
paper rings. Like, I really love paper rings. Yeah. There's a point in the bridge where it sounds like happy days, and I think that's even my favorite part. Wow. <laughs> it's just, it's so fun. I told her that I want to hear the full-on punk rock version of it. I mean, this is definitely, like, already a pop punk song, but I want to hear the kind of, like, whether it's by her or someone else, like, all-girl punk band version that takes it to the next level of that. But it's so fun. And it is a musical follow-up in some ways to Shake It Off. I mean, mm-hmm. there's no doubt about it. It has that same pep, a similar beat. I would point out that it hits a note of joy. Mm-hmm. And that is a note that's hard to hit convincingly in any medium and in music without being silly or goofy and to make you feel it really is like last scene of the movie kind of plays over the happy ending kind of just ecstasy and it's so great I think one of I believe the only Taylor drug reference where she says yes. the moon was high like the night when I met your friends or like your, fr- your friends, as high as your friends <laughs> yes, were as yeah. high your friends. like your friends were the night we met yes. the night was also high but yes the friends were the high I think the first Taylor weed reference and also I think so yeah and the song reminds me a lot of and it always makes me want to listen to one of my favorite Weezer songs if you're wondering if I want you to I want you to that one wow it sounds so much like that one that's amazing <laughs> like in my head wow. like every single time I'm like okay I need to like mm. listen to the song on a playlist with this that's amazing. <laughs> Brittany on the cutting edge of, of Rivers Cuomo, Taylor Swift affinities. My hat is off to you. That is serious. I'm just Taylor making all the, the hella megator comparisons to. <laughs> no corner of the hot topic era will go untailorized while Brittany's on the case. I mean, don't forget those were formative years for yeah. Taylor Swift and Brittany Smatos. Again, I want to see the words guitars are dead in that thing when people on Twitter make every other letter capital to make it seem really stupid. And I, I, I feel like I want to... Oh, the Spongebob uh, meme? The Spongebob <laughs> meme, exactly. Guitars are dead. No, they are not dead. They're all over Taylor Swift's album, the best selling album of the year so far. So Cornelia Street, it's a fantastic song. I was saying, you know, there's that thing where she almost like bottles these little bits of highly specific emotions. In this case, the feeling of at the beginning of a relationship of sort of pre-mourning what if it goes wrong based on past experiences and that it's so perfectly captures it and it's been a very long time since I've been in that place and nonetheless I found it intensely moving like it it will bring me to tears Bernie said she cried like four times over today I mean every day it's such a beautiful song and I think like she's kind of like at like a a 90% heartbreak minimum constantly so it's hard for her to totally let go of that sort of kind of breakup angle but not saying the word breakup because it's not really a breakup song but it's just sort of again like that concept of but what if this does go wrong like you mentioned and that's there in a lot of the love songs throughout this album because i think that this idea of something to lose is always prevalent let's hear cornelia street terrible street great song (laughs) (laughs) it's a lot better if you have an apartment with a indoor pool which she did Uh, yeah and a gallery room Musically, the transition between very traditional singer-songwriter melody and harmony arrangement right there into like sort of a like a, a pop diva 90s thing mm-hmm. there. It just shows how many, as Rob was saying, the vocabulary has broadened and she can mix the stuff in the same song. 
in a way that I'm not sure like anyone else is doing right now. Honestly, now that she's developed this vocabulary, she's able to marshal it in a way that's pretty unique. Yeah. There's that little like Joni flourish at the end when she hits that falsetto kind of, it's not like a full acapella, but that kind of moment when the music dies down a little bit and she hits that falsetto. Yeah, very good. and that very 80s 808 beat. It's funny because like a few weeks ago, she did that concert where she covered a Phil Collins song yeah. and we all learned a lot about her formative influences and like this is one where I was like you can definitely see Phil Collins' production style. The album he made for Anna Frida from ABBA, her solo album very much a strong influence on yeah. Cornelia Street I now believe. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm just learning about the Phil Collins influence but Cornelia Street, such a perfect ballad and again, terrible street. An actual New Yorker <laughs> would like never like it's just horrible tor- tourist trap. No one's done more for the West Village and Sex in the City than Taylor Swift. Unbelievable. It's like she's reclaiming it block (laughs) by block. She said this neighborhood is not terrible. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, Cornelia Street's one of my very, very, very favorites. Death by a Thousand Cuts. We were saying that, you know, Cornelia Street is about the fear of a breakup while relationships going well. Death by a Thousand Cuts is a fictional breakup. Yeah. And it is unusual in the Taylor canon for being totally fictional. It's not something... Yeah, I mean, again, like, she's written a lot of fictional love songs. You know, the song Love Story is about sort of this kind of idea of a relationship that she was imagining. And then you have Starlight, which is about literally Ethel Kennedy and (laughs) Robert F. Kennedy. You have a lot of fictional relationships in her love songs, but... I don't think we've ever gotten a fictional breakup in a song from Taylor before. And it's really cool to see for her as a writer to hear that sort of like inspired by the Netflix rom-com, Someone Great. Guitar. So Rob would like to reclaim London Boy, which people have been, you know, treating. Yeah. For me, it's a really fun song. It's a throwaway in the best sense, in the sense that it could have not been on the album, but you're happy it is. Absolutely. And it's also a song that I was really bewildered to find myself liking so much. But it's basically the sequel to Welcome to New York. Absolutely. You know, in terms of songs about cities that are designed to be at a very, like, (laughs) entry-level junior year abroad kind of, like... It'd be funny if she continued it and gets more exotic. Like, the next one has Prague. Yeah. I, I hope her next album has Paris Jetem and she'll be singing about the Eiffel Tower and mimes. <laughs> Darling, let's move. We got to go to the Louvre. It's going to be songs like that. The Although, next time we'll have Arrivederci Roma. You know, like. Shout out to Idris Elba. Absolutely. Who I did not realize it was him. I freaked out because I thought it was Joe Alwyn on the song and I was like, oh my God. And I, like, I think she very deliberately wanted yeah. people to think that at first. It's from, yeah, he's on like James Corden talking. Yeah, and yeah. he's like, yeah. Let's hear that. Also, we got a Springsteen reference early on. Yes, absolutely. This song, I love it more and more and more. It's so catchy. Yes. And musically, the Londonicity, like, I love what a madness song it is. Yeah. She's working a really specific, you know, madness squeeze (laughs) template of, you know, London new wave pop. I'm going to jump ahead to, I mean, Sunuga Better is unbearable to talk about it, but incredibly beautiful. And it's so fantastic to have the Dixie Chicks back. Mm -hmm. 10 seconds on False God, anyone? Love a sax moment. Yeah. Yeah. She's very proud of that. It's she's very a, 1986. She, she, and she's very proud of that as an unexpected uh, Taylor Swift album moment, which I agree. Also love at the end how she sings exactly like Drake. Like yeah. there's the shout out to Drake in the first song, but the way she sings those consonants, especially at the end, it's very much, you know, like Drake vocalizing. 
and calling herself New York City. Mwah. Exactly. Yes. Brilliant. Yes. New York City agrees, Taylor. Yeah. You are New York City. <laughs> I think You Need to Calm Down is underrated. I enjoy it more and more as just like perfect shot at haters. And I love the passive aggressiveness of it mm-hmm. in the best way. The like, are you okay is so funny. The moment I heard it, I just love that she used Can You Just Not in a song. It's just so perfect. The more like people are annoying on Twitter, the more that You Need to Calm Down seems like a perfect song. <laughs> yeah, I love it more and more. This is one that I had the, I guess, like for this cycle rare like of hearing it in the wild repeatedly Mm -hmm. it's a song that i would always hear like in delis or cabs or whatever like and i'd hear the song and think "Ooh, i love this song what is it oh yes this is like taylor swift song (laughs) really weird sensation and it always sounds so incredibly good Immediately, it sounds like The Knife. Yeah. yeah. It's heartbeat, basically, like part two. Such a great song, such a clever song on every level. Like you said, I like it more and more. Yeah. We have like 30 seconds left, not quite, but a little more than that. It's nice to have a friend. You know what it reminded me of? A couple White Stripes songs. That yeah. We're going to be friends, totally. Literally that one, but also the few songs that are written in the like that childlike mode. Mm-hmm. It really, again- A lot of high school, school metaphors yeah. on this the, album. In this one, this it's actually, it's like being nine years old. In this yeah, song. like a lot of yeah. like schoolyard, you know. Metaphors. It's literally compared Comparing the coziness of having your best friend when you're nine years old yeah. to having a boyfriend. And shout out uh, Steel Drums. <laughs> Absolutely. It's her Moonlight Mile. Yeah. <laughs> and just talk about Daylight, which could have been the title track mm-hmm. of the album, she told me. I love, someone pointed out that this spoken word thing, I want to be defined by the things I love, not the things I hate, confirmed Taylor loves The Last Jedi, because that's a line <laughs> from The Last Jedi. I have no idea if it's a coincidence. I think it's probably a coincidence, but it's really, really funny. I love a Taylor monologue. Yeah, exactly. I love a Taylor monologue. Always yes. good. So, you've been listening to Rolling Stone Music Now. We managed to basically make it to the end of Lover by Taylor Swift. I'm Brian Hyde, and I've been in the studio with Rob Bob Sheffield and Brittany Spanos, our Taylor Swift panel extraordinaire. And we'll be back next week here on SiriusXM's Volume at 1 p.m. on Friday. In the meantime, we are a podcast. Download us as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to us as a podcast. Maybe leave a nice review or two if you found a way to hack the system on iTunes. And as always, thanks for listening, and we will definitely see you next week. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was the three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.